It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas, Register today at thisisils.org. You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM, Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And we begin this show with very heavy hearts. You know, it's one of these shows where I initially for the week start out with one theme and because of what happens in the news, what's happening in the world around us, makes me change what I'm wanting to talk about, makes me change the entire narrative of our hour here. And it's one of those things where, um, well, I mean, I, I have to talk about this. And then this is what we're going to be talking about this hour. We're going to talk about the uh, shooting in Las Vegas. But before I get to that, I want to go ahead and give a Give a shout out to our fallen comrade, Tom Petty. And Tom Petty is a dear soul to me. He was one of the few that started me on my musical journey when I was a kid. Many people have heard me talk about this before, but I, I was raised in a conservative household. And I remember that I really wasn't allowed to listen to any music that wasn't Christian music. And my... My big sneak attack as a kid was the fact that I signed up for, I remember this, I signed up for both Columbia House and BMG Music. You know, for those of you that were kids of the 80s and 90s, we all know this. And this infuriated my my mom, who was my main uh, conservative Christian jailer. Uh, my dad was always, he always loved music. And my mom necessarily, well, um, my mom essentially believed, like a lot of conservative Christians, that popular music was evil. And so I was, I was held away from this. I was starved of music for the longest time. And I remember getting one of those ads in the mail, and I filled it out, and I sent it in. So yes, I was a card-carrying member of BMG Music and Columbia House. And, and which infuriated my, my mother much later in life, uh, was that I would sign up fictitious people because uh, the way that the music club worked, I figured out that as long as you you got your free music, you paid for your six overpriced CDs or whatever, um, 
you were done with the obligation. So I signed up my dog for both services. I signed up fictitious people for both services because once I began to get a taste for music, it was something that that I could not deny. And I remember really not knowing anything about popular music and, and realizing I was the weird kid. Well, I probably still am the weird kid. Um, I, I, you know, I went for Tom Petty. Um, I remember it was like, it was like, and this is back in the day. It was like Phil Collins, Tom Petty and Billy Joel, uh, because that was who they were pushing on BMG. And, and I just took it. Th- those were my, those were my entryweight drugs, um, into music. And I just remember there was just something different about Tom Petty, something that kept me coming back, something that kept me just loving Tom Petty, whether he was a heartbreaker or whether he was a traveling Wilbury. Um, so Tom Petty just occupies a very special place in my heart, especially just for my love of music and my love of artistry. And to hear that he recently passed away is one of those things that just, it gives me pause. Like I did not know the man and the man did not know what impact his music had upon me, but hearing that he has passed has been, it, it, it leaves me with a sense of loss. And so I want to go ahead and say, rest in peace, Tom Petty. Um, You have made an impact well beyond what you understand um, in my life. And I know you've made an impact in other people's lives. And so, yes, we love you, Tom Petty. And so talking about tragic scenarios and tragic incidents, let's go ahead and take a deep dive um, this hour. Again, with very just... I. These, these are one of those shows that I don't not like to necessarily sensationalize, but it ends up being something that I feel like has to be talked about, which is what brings me back here week after week. It's not necessarily trying to do the big story, the big thing that we talk about, but it's really about, uh, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about this. So let's not wait any further, and let's go ahead and talk about the shooting that happened in Vegas and why it matters to faith. And then I'm going to connect it to some other stuff that you may not necessarily see coming. So, um, hey, remember, tray table's up, seats buckled, we're ready to go. Here is your snarky faith. So here's what we know right now. So I'll give you this, and this comes from NBC News. And 58 people were killed, more than 500 injured in the deadliest shooting in modern American history. The gunman has been identified as Stephen Paddock, a 64-year-old man from Mesquite, Nevada. And at least 10 weapons were fined inside Paddock's room at the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino. And thus far, the president, who will actually visit Las Vegas on Wednesday, has called this shooting a pure act of evil. Yeah, yeah. Like, way to go. Way to go there, Prez, on that. But when we begin to talk about these shootings, and, and, and the fact of the matter, and this is what grieves me very deeply, is that they continue to happen. And we see this pattern. We see this pattern in the news, and we see this pattern in our reactions. They happen. We are upset. We are appalled. We, we, we oh, we are outraged. But then the next news cycle happens, and... We forget about it because apparently we have like the same attention span as a goldfish. And that goldfish attention span is very much the same as a lot of our advocacy. When something happens, oh my gosh, we must change this. We will do this. Oh, what, squirrel? Squirrel? 
Oh, oh, what was I talking about again? I don't know. I just am really excited. The iPhone 10 is coming out. Oh, my God. Sadly, that is the American response for this. Sadly, the fact of the matter is we continue to have shootings. And this is the worst that we've had in modern history. But we continue to have shootings. And we continue to do Nothing. I'd even seen this. Um, I, I'd seen this pop up on social media. It was it was a it was a local church was going to have a vigil for Vegas this coming week. Yes. It's, let's let's just come together and pray for an event that has already happened. Let's pray for something that abdicates our role in actually changing the source of the problem. Let's go and pray so we can wash our hands of this incident. And my fear is that we are going to see this over and over and over again because within Christianity, these kind of things make us feel good in the moment. It's kind of like your first hit of crack or cocaine. I'm saying this because I've not tried them, but I've watched plenty of movies. So I know the lingo, right, people? But what I'm saying is this: these kind of situations, so we will see Christianity, oh, outrage, oh, Pray for Vegas. Pray for these people. Pray for the families. And while there's nothing wrong with prayer, if we end up only letting these kind of events absolve us of our responsibilities over these events and the groundwork that facilitates events like this, i.e. crazy people, i.e. too much guns in our country, and we just say, oh, let's pray. Here's my answer for you. And I'm going to go ahead and give you like almost my, my thesis and conclusion right away in this show. Christians, stop looking to Jesus when you already have the answers. Like this is the height of what I will call religious like avoidism. It's not a word, but I'll run with it. Yes, we do these things. Tragedies happen. And we do the bare minimum because we want to unburden our souls of these events. We want to feel better. We see these. We see these in the news and these pictures, these, these horrific pictures, whether it be Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico's devastation, or whether it be the shooting in Las Vegas. We see them and we are deeply uncomfortable. And so what do we do? We look for ways to, to, to kind of create a salve for that uncomfortability that is in our souls. We look for ways to be able to walk away and forget them. Like these events end up becoming these kind of soul moments where we can check a box and say, oh, oh, I'm so much better now. I don't have to think about this awfulness again. I remember when we had, this is, this is a while back, we had, um, well, writer, theologian, philosopher, Peter Rollins on the show. And I remember him talking to me about how in England they would show these advertisements or adverts, as he would say them, um, that were in the UK. They, they would have these advertisements about, um, it was like pet abuse. It was kind of like a PETA type thing. And, and people would give because they hated seeing these commercials on TV. They knew if eventually you just gave money to these things, 
that eventually we would not have to look at these things anymore because we only want to be able to look at what makes us comfortable. And why do these events make us uncomfortable? Well, let's take talk about Puerto Rico. So you look at this, you hear the devastation, you see that people don't even have clean drinking water, and you feel in your heart and in your soul that something must be done. And that feeling, that deep down feeling that is calling to you, I believe ends up being God's voice saying you should do something. There is human suffering. You say that you are a follower of Christ, well then go and do something. Oh, I'm feeling convicted now. So what should I do? I'll send $5 to this organization and oh, I'm off the hook. Yes, I can go back to my daily life. Like the price of a Starbucks Frappuccino gets you off the hook for human suffering. Or we see these gun shootings. We, we see these mass shootings of people, lives lost, people wounded. And it is terrible. It is terrible. And this is an avoidable atrocity. And we feel the same thing in our souls down deep telling us, this is wrong. You hurt because these situations shouldn't happen, because this is not the way the world is supposed to be, because these situations are avoidable. And so what do you do? You go to a prayer vigil. Oh, or you may tweet about this. Prayers for Vegas. Remember this a little while back? Prayers for San Bernardino. Oh, my soul has been absolved. I feel so much better. Oh my gosh, my conscience is clear. I can go back to playing Candy Crush. This is great. I, I can go back to being oblivious to the world around me and being happy with Jesus because I show up on Sundays. Oh, I feel so much better because guess what? Devastation and human tragedy has no place in my schedule. I've looked at it. I've looked at my iCal and guess what? There's no place for it. There's no time for mourning. There's no time for advocacy. There's no time for protest. There's no time to really invest in change. So I'll go to a vigil for Vegas and I'll feel better because we'll feel so connected. <laughs> yeah. And I know, I know people will come back and say, Stuart, but there is power in prayer. Sure there is. Sure there's power in prayer. But guess what? But guess what? You want to take a guess? We have to get off our fat asses and do something. Because guess what? Donating or tweeting or posting our greatest sympathies for these, for all of this human suffering does actually nothing to fix the problem. Now, you may say to yourself, well, Stuart, you're lining up two very separate events. Like the hurricanes that hit Houston and Florida um, and the Caribbean. And you're trying to juxtapose all of this with mass shootings and gun violence in America. They're not the same thing. There's no way they're the same thing. Like, you're drinking crazy sauce if you're going to convince me that these are both connected. And my answer is this, without going into full Alex Jones conspiracy theory. No, no, I'm not going to go down that road. Um, I'm not going to talk about anything that's conspiratorial. I'm going to talk about 
you. Like, that's right, you, the person that's listening to this, whether it's over podcast or over broadcast. And if you are a new listener and happen to like Snarky Faith, which is a skewering of faith in America that we do here every week, you can also find us on www.snarkyfaith.com. You want to find past episodes or other information about us here. But what I'm here to do is to tell you that all of these hurricanes and all of the horrific damage they've done is very connected to mass shootings and gun violence in America. And they are both, listen to me here, they are both preventable. And that's what I want to do a deep dive into today. That's what I want to do a deep dive into. I have a bunch of other stories that I wished I could get to today um, that I was actually kind of just like, like, you know, I was ready and loaded for this episode. And then all of this transpired over the weekend. And guess what? You're going to get what has transpired here. Because I feel like this is a more important message for us to be talking about. This is a more important message because both of these scenarios, one weather-based and one human-based. Actually, wait, they're both human-based because they're both preventable. So let's just start to unpack this. So what I'm going to give you here in this story, again, I'm going to circle back to this. So we have Las Vegas shooting, over 58 dead, and over 500 were injured. Now let's talk about Puerto Rico. So this is from, this is information from today from, uh, from USA Today. So when we begin to look at these numbers, so after the hurricane hit Puerto Rico, so right now, currently where we stand, 45% of the population of the 3.4 million people that live there, access to drinking water is only 45%. 45% of the people that I need to remind you are American citizens. 45% of American citizens in Puerto Rico <laughs> have access to clean drinking water. Yes. So let's talk about this. Customers that actually have electric power on the entire country of Puerto Rico, 5%. 5%. There's been many hospitals that have been closed only 75% of their ports are open. There's only 50% of their roadways that are clear. And so far, we only have 12,000 people that are part of the U.S. response team on the island. This is devastation. This is a travesty. And this is something that, that our president is picking petty battles over with like the mayor of San Juan while people suffer and die, while people don't have clean drinking water in an American territory. Like, we're not talking about a third world country. But I will tell you this, and this is, this is one of the great sins of the way we look at our country, and this is one of the sins of patriotism, is that we care more about the 50 states that comprise the United States than we do about the territories in the United States. Like, we saw telethons and an outpouring of support uh, for Florida victims, uh, for victims that, that in Houston, we've seen this. Puerto Rico, eh, 
I feel like, you know, honestly, my grade is half-ass in our response to this. Because, honestly, most Americans don't realize that Puerto Ricans are American citizens. Now, let's not even take, take this fact into the matter of human suffering, human suffering anywhere. I don't care what country you're in. Human suffering, we should be there helping them. Like, if you are a person that would say that you follow Jesus, that you show up at church, which they're not always the same thing. Um, people that would say that somehow Jesus has impacted you. Human suffering should impact you deep in your soul, wherever it is. If we let people suffer, if we go about our daily lives and they're kind of like, meh, someone else will help them. You're walking away from one of the main mandates and the main heartbeats of who Jesus was. And not even going to talk about this on a level of religiosity. Because there are people, yes, uh, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Do you believe in our dogma? Do you believe? No, no, no. I mean, I'm even going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make this a broader, a broader net here. Like, has Jesus impacted you? Do you like his teachings but maybe hate the church? These are human atrocities that need that need us to show up. Like one of the core tenets of who it means to be a Christian is when there is suffering, I am there. Like whether someone has need, we will go there and help them. One of the reasons I even started this entire show was the fact that I felt that American Christianity had gone off the rails long ago but that there was still something worth salvaging in the midst of all of this. When Jesus calls us to be servants to others, when he calls for us uh, to be a voice for those that are voiceless, for those, when he calls for us to be people that help those that are suffering and hurting, even if it costs something of ourselves, that is the core of who Jesus was and who Jesus taught us to be. And when we see these things, when we see these things happen and we do nothing, what are we anymore? I don't know. And it's easy to talk about this when we talk about like, like disaster, like weather-related disaster, right? Because um, we can talk about this like, oh, well, well, certain Christians will talk about, oh, the hurricanes came, the hurricanes happened because of sin, yeah, screw that. Screw that. Those people are just, they're, they're charlatans and fools, and they're not even worth anyone's time. No. Hurricanes happen. Why do hurricanes happen? Well, uh, there are natural meteorological events that happen on a regular basis, uh, and it has to do with the warming and cooling of temperatures. That was your cheesy meteorologist Stuart for you. Um, so yes, we do. In America, we know this. There's a hurricane season on the East Coast, and yeah, it happens, what is it, anywhere from August to like through the end of October. So yes, there's natural occurrences that happen. Why? Because they're part of a natural cycle. But on top of this, that we have been hearing this over and over and over again for years. And if you're interested in hearing more about this, go to our website, snarkyfaith.com, and actually look up our interviews with Catherine Hayhoe. We had a climate scientist on a while back that she was predicting these occurrences. When we begin to talk about climate change, she was talking about these ideals. Catherine Hayhoe now has a show on PBS called, I believe it's Global Weirding, and it's quite good. And she was talking about this, and it almost felt, dare I say, prophetic, if you want to talk in Christianese, or dare I say, 
statistical and scientific because we look at trends on graphs. Either way, whichever whichever word you like, whether it's scientific or prophetic, I don't care. Just take whichever one makes sense in your own kind of like faith wheelhouse. No, she began, to, she was telling me about this and I remember this. And she was saying is, it isn't simply that, that, that weather, that everything's getting warmer because she was trying to say about, remember we used to talk about global warming. So global warming is a thing, but really the reason they changed the terminology towards climate change was simply this. It's not just about warming. Um, it's really about the fact that our extremes in weather will continue to get more and more extreme. And we have seen this. We have seen these where we're talking about Harvey's the storm of the century. Oh my gosh, we have another hurricane happening. Oh my gosh, we have another hurricane happening. This, while it is hurricane season, this is catastrophic. And why do I bring this up in the midst of talking about shootings? Um, I bring this up because guess what? Climate change. It's human caused. We've done this. We've done this. And it's preventable. And we as a country, uh, a country that left the Paris Accord, yeah, it's preventable. And I, I mean, I know that there's people out there, there's conservative Christians out there that are like, well, show me the science. Um, you can't always believe in science because Ken Ham tells me that dinosaurs were on Noah's Ark. Yes, this is time for you to pull your fingers out of your ears and your thumbs out of your asses and begin to listen to what's going on. Actually, don't even listen. Just look. Look at what's happening. And no, don't say fake news. And no, don't say, well, not all scientists agree that climate change is happening. Only 99.9% .9 of them do. Yeah, shut up. That's my answer. Shut up to the Christian conservative that's still trying to deny that climate change is happening and deny the fact that we have done this. Shut up. Just shut up. And I know you're going to go back to the fact of like, well, Jesus will take care of us. Well, 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 Jesus will uh, rapture us. He will take us away from this horrible place, this horrible situation that we've all created. Please save me, Jesus. Save me from my own filth and destruction that I have caused. I said this earlier. I'm going to say this again. Stop looking to Jesus when you already have the answers. Again, this is religious avoidism at its best. You are avoiding the core problem. You are avoiding the problem that you can change, that you can handle, that you can make a difference in. And instead, you're having prayer vigils and saying, Jesus, save me. Or please help these families. Oh, or please give people drinking water. Like somehow, like, you know, uh, with the Israelites in the desert, that somehow God's going to start dropping bottles of Fiji water uh, from rain clouds into Puerto Rico. No, Jesus isn't going to help you in a situation that you have the full power to fix the situation. Now, I know you as an individual listening to this and no, uh, probably for my tone, we've probably lost any conservative Christian that was listening to this hour, but screw it. I have the microphone. I'm still going here. Why would God rescue you from a rescue bull, rescuable situation? Like, why can't I make my car start? I have my keys. I have my car, but it's too hard for me to stick my keys in the ignition and turn them on. No, this is a matter of personal effing responsibility out there, Christians, 
and spiritual folk, we have situations where we have the tools to fix these problems, and yet we do nothing. We stick our heads in the sand like ostriches and say, la, 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 everything will be okay. Or wait, no, we don't do that because that's not catchy enough. No, we sing Chris Tomlin tunes on Sunday morning. We send how great is our God or how wonderful Jesus is or Jesus is my boyfriend. And if we keep singing that, it makes us avoid the things that are happening around us. It makes us avoid reality. When we see things like shootings in Vegas and, and atrocities in Puerto Rico, stop mourning, stop praying. Get off your knees, get up, and make a difference. Because, see, here's how these things work. I think prayer works. I think prayer matters. But when you already have the tools in front of you, and you're asking God to fix the situation, the tools are already in front of you. You already have the responsibility. It's there. You can change this. You can do this. Are we upset about hurricane relief? Should we send money to charities that are helping people that are in these horrible situations? Absolutely yes. Should we pray for people in those situations? Absolutely yes. Should we do something about this? Whether it be going down to help offer relief or 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 making changes in our own buying habits, making changes in our own consumeristic materialistic habits, uh, making changes so we can help to stop these things from occurring over and over again. Yeah, that's on you. Stop praying. Stop posting on, on social media. Stop calling out to God. Yeah, do your work first. Do your job as a human being. Second, and may, yes, also as a Christian, but do your job. Do something to make a difference instead of being like, oh, my heart breaks for the suffering of people. It breaks so much that I can't do anything. My heart's so broken. I'm just going to sit on my fat ass and watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm going to sit on my fat ass in the pews and do nothing. And I'll give an extra fiver when we take a special offering for Vegas or a special offering for Puerto Rico or Houston or wherever the hell else we're talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about personal responsibility, people. It's not a spiritual thing. I mean, we can spiritualize it all we want, but I'm going to say is we all have personal responsibility in climate change. And, 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 as we will pivot to talking about the shootings, the mass shootings in Las Vegas, we have a personal responsibility there too. Because guess what? We can change our stories, America. We can change them. We can change our narrative. We can change the way we do stuff. You've seen this in other countries. When we talk about mass shootings, Australia, mass shootings were down once they started to ban guns. England, same thing. But still America. Oh my gosh, it's so America, American to love our guns. Because guns are part of our patriotic duty. Because it's more American to own a gun than it is to kneel during the national anthem. Because that's the story that we think is real. What? 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 So as we talk about this confluence of craziness, this is something that I'd wanted to bring up too. So 
This is going to drag us a little bit back in the timeline, but we will do this in order to push us forward. So this, this is a quote that came from Pastor Robert Jeffress of First Baptist Church in Dallas. Now, why does he matter? Well, First Baptist Church, First Baptist Church in Dallas is one of the larger churches in the region. It is a huge church. And when he was asked on, of all places, Fox and Friends, uh, it's really just kind of Fox and Frenemies is kind of how it feels like to me a little bit because I feel like they're all very snipey there. But they were asking him about the NFL protests, okay? Now, how does the protest connect to Las Vegas? Well, let me tell you. So, uh, the good pastor said this. I think what these players uh, are doing is absolutely wrong. These players ought to be thanking God that they live in a country where they're, uh, where they're not only free to earn millions of dollars every year, but they're also free from the worry of being shot in the head for taking a knee like they would if they were in North Korea. Now, first of all, so the predominantly African-American players that are doing a silent, peaceful protest in the NFL, um, they should be thankful that they're not being shot in the head for protesting? Oh, thank you, Master. Thank you for... What is this? When we hear Christian leaders saying things like this, like, what in the world is wrong with you? And this is a pastor of a large, large uh, church from a large, large, bigoted denomination. Um, and he's telling players they should... Don't kneel. Just be thankful you're not being shot in the head. Well, hey... Hey, hey, hey there, Pastor Rob. Pastor Rob. The reason they're protesting is because of police brutality that targets African Americans. They're protesting because African Americans are being killed by police in America, and the police are getting away with it. So, first of all, when you're telling them to luck their, you know, thank their lucky stars, Massa. That I get to make millions of dollars every year and I don't get to get shot? Thank you. I know that was probably racist. I'm doing this in a horribly, horribly sarcastic manner to talk about the insanity of this religious leader who's also a bigot and a fool. And I speak about that to get to this. So let's talk about gun violence in America and how it ends up being intrinsically connected to faith. So let's talk about that. Okay, so this is, I'm going to give you some stats ahead of time just to talk about these. these this just came out, uh, I think it was yesterday, um, from Vox. And it's, uh, it's from an article entitled, Gun Violence in America Explained in 17 Maps and Charts. Because who doesn't love maps and charts? I do because it means I don't have to read. But, <laughs> I'm kidding, I do like to read picture books, right? Um, so no, number one on their list, and this is the most damning of any of the stats they have here, is that American America has six times as many fire firearm homicides as Canada, and nearly 16 times as many as Germany. So yes, when you begin to look at these stats, 
in the United States. We love our guns. Having guns is part of being a patriot, right? Because the only way we can be patriots is to serve in the military and shoot and kill people, right? Because that's that's a whole other show about the fact of what is patriotism and how it's something only about love of gods, as long as God wants to kill people, and guns. That's being a good patriot. And I'm not saying I don't appreciate the fact that we have men and women that have died for our country that give us the freedoms we have. We are very appreciative of that. But patriotism doesn't only look like being a soldier and holding a gun. Sometimes being a patriot is taking a knee before an NFL game. Sometimes uh, being a patriot is sitting on a bus in a section where you're not supposed to sit and staying there. Being a patriot looks very different, and there's not only one way to look at being a patriot. We have to remember that. Their second stat, which is very eye-opening, is America has 4.4% of the world's population. But, but, almost half of the civilian gun... uh, Civilian-owned guns around the world. Sorry, I'll say that again. America has 4.4% of the world's population, but almost half of the civilian-owned guns around the world. (laughs) Almost half. What? What? Yeah. Yeah. Simply put, in layman's terms, Americans got lots of guns. We got a lot of guns. We like to blow stuff up. Yeah, we like to blow stuff up. And guess what? Number three on their list... There have been more than 1,500 mass shootings since Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook, back in 2012. Back in 2012, when a gunman walks into Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, and kills 20 kids, six adults, and himself. Yeah, we've had over 1,500 mass shootings since then in America. And what are we doing about it? a whole lot yes so we're seeing this we're seeing that there is a connection to more guns equals more deaths now i know people will say well the people that own guns legally they're not the ones doing these illegal things well steven paddock had guns the shooter that was in vegas he had guns he owned guns So where does this fit into it? Because again, that ends up being a racial narrative. That ends up being a racial excuse that people say, oh, no, it's just the gangbangers in the streets that have illegal guns that are doing all of the killings. Oh, yes, they, no, they're not. More guns does not equal more peace. That that is the bad math that has been happening. And we look at the stats, states that have tighter gun control, guess what? They have fewer gun-related deaths. Weird. It's weird how numbers show us answers, whether it be climate change or whether it be this. Yes, states with tighter gun control laws have fewer gun-related deaths. That's so bizarre. Like when you have countries like Australia that bans firearms and they've had no mass shootings since that has happened. Well, what about the gangbangers? What about those, you know, punks on the streets with illegal guns? Because I need to legally own my gun to protect myself. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't work. And if you're a Christian, 
and you're trying to follow this whole Jesus ethic, this whole thing about Jesus' teachings, this whole thing about like, oh, um, yeah, loving your enemy, and if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek also, uh, which is a form of nonviolent protest, which looks a lot closer to the players that are protesting peacefully in the NFL than it does with the people that say, I need a gun to protect my family. Yeah, that is a thing. So we begin to see this. And this isn't hard math. This isn't even like common core math that we're talking about here. Um, countries that have more guns have more gun-related killings, fatalities, murders, all of those things. So more guns doesn't equal more peace. Like, we've already seen that for the military, right? Because we've done great jobs in Afghanistan and... <sighs> yeah. And around the world, more guns does not equal more peace. It doesn't. It doesn't. Especially when we begin to look at stuff, when we think about things with, with mental health issues. Um, we talk about fatalities. Um, suicide attempts. Suicide attempts that work. Um, in that article, so 5% uh, percent die from cutting in suicide attempts. Uh, 7% are from poison. 96.5% are from firearms. So why are guns a second thing? I mean, it's still a thing. And I know that you're going to say that, Stuart, but with the Second Amendment, it gives us the right to do this. The Second Amendment means that we need to have our gun ejaculate that happens all over America all the time. And I will tell you my answer, and I've said this before. Yes, when they wrote the Second Amendment, they did not have automatics and semi-automatic weapons. They had to shoot and reload. And this was about defending who you are as a country. This was not talking about people that are deranged and crazy. Oh, wait, 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 let me think about this. Because I think Obama had legislation um, that he put in place so mentally ill people cannot own firearms. Oh, but wait, wait, please jog my memory for a moment where Trump rescinded that, where it's okay if you have mental illness to own guns. Yeah, I think that was a thing. Yeah, thanks, Trump. Thanks again. Thanks again for doing, wait, I would, I, here's, here's my uh, thing with Trump here. I would love to say thanks again for doing nothing. That would be great. Like, in America, we would be fine right now if Trump, like, just sat on his hands and watched Fox and Friends or whatever he watches all day long and did nothing for the country. I would totally be in favor of that. I would say, oh, my gosh, thank you, President. Thank you, Mr. President. I totally respect you for doing nothing. I want you to sit on your ass and play golf and do nothing. But the fact of the matter is, he doesn't do nothing. I mean, he doesn't help. We already know that. And he doesn't do, he's not neutral in this. Oh, no, he makes things worse constantly on a daily basis. When you say, like, oh, this couldn't get worse. No, 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 he's going to help that. He's going to help it get worse. Like, seriously, go back to being the deranged, senile president that you are and just do nothing. It worked for Ronald Reagan in his second term. Just let the economy do its things. Let other lawmakers that 
know something, do their thing, and you go back to being delusional and quiet. You sitting on your hands and doing nothing would not push us closer to the brink with North Korea. You sitting on your hands and doing nothing honestly would make most Americans rejoice. But instead, he continues to pull back Obama-era legislation. He continues to have inflammatory speech against people that are hurt and suffering like Puerto Rico but do nothing. He's critical in a deranged way that means he doesn't understand how to read or know facts or the way the world works or I'm not even sure what he knows. I mean, I know what he doesn't know and that's pretty great. What he does know besides being an asshole and grabbing pussy beyond that, I'm not sure where his expertise is at all in our country. And when we continue to talk about this, when we continue to descend into these things, it, it becomes not, not just an issue of morality in America or, or an issue just of justice in America, that, that we do need gun control, that we do need controls over this, and that we do need less guns in America. It's not simply that, um, because that is all true. Because more guns does not equal more safety or more peace, which is all bad grammar and how I'm laying this out here. But I want to talk about, for the remainder of our show, just this, this weird, weird, weird connection between Christianity and gun owning. Because you will hear this if you live in the South. I've got my God and I've got my guns. And the fact that people are somehow putting God and guns in the same sentence already means that your faith is effed up. It already means that it. Like when, when you go and look at the life, the ethics, the teaching, the model of Jesus, we see a pacifist. We see a protester that's a pacifist. So why is it that in America we somehow associate, I've got my God and I've got my guns? That tells me that there is a deep, deep sickness to American Christianity. Because on, on, let me do this, let me do this. I'm going to like boil this down to like kindergarten logic, maybe preschool logic. So, okay, let's just assume you're Joe Christian. Unfortunate name, but that's just your name. That also somehow encapsulates all that you believe in. So you're Joe Christian out there. And you believe that you need to have faith in God. And that God is the creator of the universe, right? And that God has... He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. Yeah, that thing that we sing, yeah, used to sing in church or whatever. So yeah, so that's, so yes, yeah, so God has the whole world in his hands. So you have faith in God. You believe in Jesus. You want to follow out the teachings of Jesus, supposedly, and God is in charge of everything, right? Like, that's pretty like, mm, 
<clears throat> down mainline Christianity, right? So why do you need to own guns? Why do you need to own guns? Like if you're a hunter, fine. That's that's uh, you're not part of the population that I am talking about here. That that has like I own a gun because I go out and I hunt this so I can eat meat. Okay, okay. Again, this is not like a vegetarian <laughs> versus a carnivorous conversation. But what I'm saying is that gun is connected to a safe um, recreational activity. No, no. Forget those folks. Okay, so what about the folks that own guns? Christians that own guns. So, do you believe in God? Oh, yes, sir, I do. I absolutely believe in God. Okay, do you believe in Jesus? Sure, sir, I do. What about Jesus being a pacifist? Oh, well, it's a little different here. What about... Um, the fact that you are saying you have a faith in God to take care of you and all of your needs. Well, so, sir, that's a little different. So, yeah, why do you own guns? Like, if you believe what you say on Sunday, that God is in charge, that Jesus has your back, but you still need to own a gun to protect your family, there is a huge flaw in very simple kindergarten logic. You own guns because it makes you feel safe. Because if you need to put your Liam Neeson on for vengeance, you want to have that. You owning guns, not for hunting. You owning guns says that God doesn't have your back. I'm going to make the math very clear on that. If you need guns for safety, you're saying that God doesn't have your back. Now, in most conservative evangelical Christian homes, no, 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 God has my back. I pray. I go to prayer vigils for, uh, for Vegas. I do all this stuff, and that's why I do it, because God has my back. He does. He's my BFF. So why are you locked and loaded? Why do you have a concealed carry permit? Why do you do this? Because the, the argument that somehow, oh, there's bad guys with guns, so good guys need to have guns to defend others. Oh, because we're all cool with vigilante justice. I mean, I'm totally cool with vigilante justice when it comes to, like, the Marvel Universe and Daredevil and everything else like that. But that's not real. Vigilante justice? Do we expect people just to go around and kill bad people and do all this? Because why? Because I own a gun. I own a gun. What I'm supposed to do with it, right? Yeah. That's where all of this argument breaks down. Do you want your God or do you want your guns? In the simplest terms, really ends up being one or the other. Because in American Christianity, patriotism and guns have become our God. And ultimately, when I feel like conservative, conservative America even says the word patriotism, they don't even know what it means. They know what they think it means. They know what they want it to mean. The same thing happens with faith. They think they know what it means, and they really make it into what they want it to mean. Does Jesus need to kick ass? Well, then Jesus kicks ass. He's King Jesus. What about when Jesus is meek and mild? What about when Jesus is a servant? What about when Jesus allows himself to be killed for others? Well, 
that's just the f- part one on the Easter story. Because guess what? Jesus does kick ass when he rises again. And oh my God, he kicks so much ass. <laughs> it's like between act two and act three in a Bruce Willis movie. It doesn't work that way. You have your guns or you have your God. Who, American Christianity, do you trust in? Who do you believe in? Who do you put your faith in? Because we have guys like Stephen Paddock, the guy that, that shot hundreds of people in Las Vegas. And guess what? This American Christian narrative would have been so much cleaner if he wasn't a white guy. But guess what? Stephen Paddock is a white guy. It's easier for us to blame Islam and everything else for our own sins. He's a white guy. He's American-born. And he's using his guns to kill people and cause terror. He is a terrorist. No, Stuart. You, we like our terrorists to be brown people. Sorry, buddy. But Stephen Paddock is a white guy. And Stephen Paddock is a terrorist. And that uncomfortable fact changes the narrative. It changes the narrative of us absolving ourselves from these things. Because people will come out in the next couple of days saying, oh, he was mentally ill, or he was this, or he was this, or he was this. He's a white terrorist. And we have a problem with white terrorists in our country. And we have too many guns in our country. So I've said this before in this episode, and I will say it again. Christian, stop looking to Jesus when you already hold the answers, whether it be for climate change or whether it be for gun violence in America. Stop looking to Jesus for the answers because the answers are already in front of you. All you're doing is avoiding reality. And I think this is a huge sin of the American church right now is this religious avoidism. And I will leave you with this. Um, and I've quoted him before, John Pavlovitz. Pavlovitz, that's probably right. Um, and he said, he wrote this article, this is back in 2015, why I don't want gun lovers grieving another massacre alongside me. And he says, and I feel like this applies today. I'm grieving again today. Once more, I'm mourning the senseless execution of beautiful souls torn to shreds in, their pri- in the prime of their lives and in the middle of their innocence ordinary. I'm grieving more... <sighs> Premature funerals and canceling weddings and discarded futures because I want to be alone right now. Gun lover, please don't tell me you're grieving along with me today, too. You're welcome to mourn, but I don't think I want your company right now. If you're still against greater gun control measures, I don't want I don't want you to grieve alongside me today. If you're part of the zealous gun glorifying community, I don't want you to grieve alongside me today. If you're militant unrepentant NRA apologists. I don't want you to grieve alongside me today. If your right to bear arms ultimately matters more to you than the human wreckage strewn about movie theaters and shopping malls and elementary schools and nightclubs and hospitals and festival grounds, I don't want you alongside me today. And I think all of this, this is back to me. In America, and specifically Christianity, 
What matters more, guns or people? It's a very simple question. What matters more to you, people or guns? And I speak to this directly to the patriotic Americans, and I speak to you to the religious Americans. What matters more to you, people or guns? And I will tell you this too. What matters more to the God that you say that you follow, guns or people? That's all I've got this hour. This has been Stuart with Snarky Faith. Uh, if you want to catch past shows, go to our website, www.snarkyfaith.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Otherwise, I am out of here. Thank you again for joining me uh, for this hour. I appreciate you, and I love our listeners, and I love our fans. Peace out. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Aqueduct Conference Center was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, Doubters and skeptics is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.